You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, we know how challenging COVID has been. And in the face of those challenges, Telcom grew group top line 0.4% to just over 43 billion rand. And that growth continues to be driven by its mobile business with the revenue growth sufficient to offset some of the fixed voice revenue declines and some of the pressure that has been emanating from COVID-19. A lot of uh, sustainable cost management continues to drive the group's profitability and the improvement in its EBITDA margin as well. CEO Sipo Maseko joins us now. Sipo Welcome. The impact of COVID really varied by group segment. It just shows you how diversified you actually are. Let's just start with the Star Mobile again. The price competition is getting ruthless out there. Well, the price competition is is getting absolutely brutal. But actually, there's a transition that's taking place as well, Michael. And I think the transition is away from voice to mobile broadband. So not only do we need to find ourselves competitive from a pricing perspective, we also need to have the right products. So customers are looking to have a lot less of this metered consumption. They're looking for everything unkept, unlimited. And it's very, very important that they have the certainty of what they're gonna pay at the end of the month. So there's been an absolute revolution, both in terms of the kind of products that you have out there and also the price points that the customer is willing to pay for them. And I think that's the, that's the competitive space that we find ourselves in. And uh, we as the operators have to find a way in which we can be able to meet both of those parameters and still be profitable. And that is the, the key here, and still be profitable. It's not just about discounting yourself uh, to gain market share that uh, is loss leading. You are currently at 15.3 million customers. That uh, is a customer base that increased by just under 28%. Really impressive that. In fact, all the numbers, if you look at your broadband traffic, up over 53%. Yep. Data revenue, mobile data revenue up 41%. Um, where's the next leg of growth coming from in this part of the business? Well, actually, we believe that we are actually at the beginning of the data growth uh, revolution. The broadband-enabled services, we've hardly scratched the surface. It is almost fortuitous that COVID acted as a catalyst for things like working from home, uh, learning from home, and so forth. But actually, we think that this is going to drive a different way in which consumers and customers consume and use content. And I think that as broadband tools like devices become more and more available and the cost at which they become available comes down, the inclination to adopt broadband services will just grow. I mean, and and I think I've kind of said this uh, to you before, Michael. So the thing about broadband is that it's infinite, right? So you can stream 10 movies a day. Uh, You can binge watch. You know, whilst voice is finite, you, you talk to a point until, until you can't speak anymore. And as these use cases evolve, the challenge for the operators will be how efficiently can we carry this traffic and can we take out inefficiencies in our value chain so that we can be competitive at the customer level uh, because it is an essential need in every home uh, in this country to have broadband access. And people want it even ahead of uh, electricity now. 
I'm seeing it in my community groups. The first thing, if there's a slight hiccup in uh, in in the fibre to the home, uh, then you know people are saying, "Well, what's going on?" Because you connected at home, you're doing all yeah. of your work at home. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, a big part of that next generation growth is also. Uh, 5G. You hinted at a 5G network rollout in your presentation earlier today. What are your 5G plans? So how we're thinking about 5G, Michael, is the following. Certainly there will be a use case for the consumer, uh, which is a new device. You can send pictures or send a video as quickly as possible. But we think an even bigger use case uh, actually lies in how we can take 5G to large enterprises. How can we take 5G to mining companies so that they can operate their mines using IoT and robotics? Mm. How can we take 5G to port operations so that when the crane driver uh, is, not being, is not at work, you don't have congestion back at the ports? And we therefore believe, and what you will see with our new ones around 5G, is that it will largely be focused on large enterprises so that we can enable them to become a lot more productive and a lot more efficient using full automation and the power that 5G gives you uh, to run their operations. So that's where we are going to in our 5G deployment. Yeah, there's a great example in Xaro and it's uh, Belfort Mine uh, bringing that um, in on time, uh, in fact, ahead of time and under budget, uh, thanks to some of the digital technologies that were employed for one of the country's first digital uh, mines, in effect, yeah. doing things like digital twins. and Indeed. And there was one part of the, the results. I mean, you, you said that um, IT revenue was under pressure because we saw companies deferring CapEx, delaying projects. There's a lot of uncertainty, and that's understandable through the, the hard lockdown in particular. One would have assumed, though, that companies now would start upping spend on IT infrastructure because yeah, we're, we're, all, that, we're digital we're seeing, businesses. Are you seeing that? Yeah, we're seeing that recovery coming through. In fact, most of the depression in the BCX revenues is largely from the first and the second quarter. So from the third quarter, companies began to really panic when they did not have a digital existence. And so they needed to strengthen their IT capabilities. They needed to move online. They needed to make sure that they don't just have pretty pictures on their websites, but actually customers can transact with them. They can order things. They can check their orders. So the second, third quarter, we began to see that coming through very, very strongly. And we think it will hold. And actually, we think it will extend to the public sector. So you don't need to go to the traffic department or to home affairs to apply for your passport. So they need to find a way in which they can digitize some of these services so that the citizen who is already a digital native can be able to also access public services in a way that uh, does not require them to hop into a taxi and go and apply for an ID or or a passport. And that is a truly transformative when you start looking at how you can digitize the public sector. There are several examples that I could rattle off the top of my head, but we'd be here the whole day. Now, when it comes to the regulatory environment, you, you said it remains challenging and uncertain. We know the spectrum auction process has been delayed, and, and you believe that this needs to promote competition and really be informed by what's going on in the market. I was chatting to Shamil Jusib last week. He called your call to action motivated by pure self-interest. Well, I don't know which court action isn't. Um, <laughs> how, how do you view where we currently are with this impasse around spectrum? And would you be open to potentially settling out of court so we can speed this thing up? 
Well, absolutely, actually, Michael, and we started there. So we did not just launch into court. Throughout all of 2020, our attempt was to engage the regulator so that there could be a way in which even before they start their process of auctioning the spectrum, all of the wrinkles that we had identified can be addressed. And one of the big points that we've raised is the following. It's important that whatever is being auctioned is available for commercial use. What good does it serve to buy and pay top dollar for spectrum that is currently occupied by broadcasters that will only be available who knows when? Government has not met a single of its deadlines uh, on the digital migration, not a single deadline. We should have migrated from the current terrestrial broadcasting frequencies uh, probably 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Every deadline that has been set has not been met. And uh, we are therefore expected to take a chance that next year, March, the digital migration would be complete when previous deadlines have not been met. So it is not commercially available. And everybody knows that we are the ones who need the sub one gig spectrum the most. And um, actually, I would be very reckless with shareholder capital. If I went to bid for Spectrum, got it, and I'm not able to use it, it would be the, the same scenario as the trains that were bought, but that were found to be of significantly elevated height, mm-hmm. and it couldn't go through the bridges. All right, I would be fired uh, from my job uh, by a shareholder. So, so if that is qualified as self-interest, then, then self-interest it is, because no one's shareholders rank, ranks above the others. And we have to make sure that we do what's right for our shareholders, we do what's right for the country, and more importantly, to have an even playing field. So what would have happened is that as the ones who need sub one gig the most, we would have paid whatever the auction amount would have been, would be stuck with something we can't use. We have no control of, on government, whilst those that don't need sub one gig spectrum would have galloped ahead and consolidated on the, on the duopoly that exists. So we absolutely remain open to engage the regulator. We've said as much uh, in terms of settling out of court. Unfortunately, they have not made progress uh, much since they've written us the letter. But we did not start in court. And, um, you know, some of my peers conveniently forget that because one engaged them quite a lot, even two days before we launched the papers. You know, I went around this country and spoke to very, very senior ministers around the danger that lies ahead and even proposed ways to remedy the ITA. But I suppose people were in a rush to go away for for, for Christmas and holidays. uh, And I was left with no choice but actually to launch the urgent application so that we can ventilate these matters in the right open public forum. Are you confident, just as a, a quick follow-up to that, that through Operation Vulundlela, we're going to be able to unblock the, the bottleneck that resides inside government to flick the switch on the digital migration so that we can actually proceed uh, with, with that obstacle out of the way? We've met with the Deputy Minister of Finance, who's championing the Vulundlela project. I think that he absolutely understood our logic uh, around around competitiveness uh, of the sector. And actually, we opened the, the door for him to see even greater opportunities. One of the things, if I may digress a little bit here, Michael, you know, we are one of the largest buyers of fiber. There's a company in Brest called CBI. I buy fiber from them. They're level 4 BE. They manufacture it in Brest, and they employ about 900 people. 
I also went to the powers that be to say, chaps, listen here, uh, you are incentivizing me the wrong way because absolutely, I'm not saying these guys should not be level one. They should be. But if you allow somebody to open an import office in Durban, employ only two people, import the fiber from Durban, and because they're level one, you then mm. penalize me for buying at uh, CBI and uh, reward me for buying from somebody who imports. You are, we are then contributing in de-industrializing the country and industrializing China or any other country we are importing from. So when we had a meeting with them around Fulinzela, we were taking them through not just the spectrum landscape, but actually the total value chain and how it's important that it must truly be used mm. as a way of making sure that not only do we stimulate investment on the network side, but we can also build some of the manufacturing capacity, which South Africa has always had, uh, by the way, over the last 30, 40 years. That's so valuable coming on the back of the, the research that we saw last week from IntelliDex around localization. To have a value chain based approach to reindustrializing the economy, it can't just be ticking a box somewhere that has unintended consequences elsewhere. Sipo, yeah. uh, that's unfortunately where we're going to have to leave it. We've run out of time. A great pleasure chatting to you and look forward to catching uh, up with you maybe over a round of golf at your full years. Take care. Thank you very much, Michael, and have a good day. Thank you.